This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. This week kicks off a five-part interview series where I sit down with guests to discuss topics like mishandling power in the church, spiritual abuse, image management, and Christian celebrity culture. My hope is these conversations provide resources for those who have been hurt and grow empathy among those whose church and ministry experience may be different than their own. Before introducing this week's guest, I want to point you to a free resource page I've created that includes books, podcast episodes, video teachings, ministries, and support groups all related to church hurt and spiritual abuse. This resource is for anyone who wants to learn, find comfort, be challenged, or explore healthy ways to move forward as the body of Christ. You can get the free resource by visiting graceenoughpodcast.com slash spiritual hurt or by scrolling down in your listening app and clicking the link. Our first guest is a pediatric ER doctor, founder of Living with Power Ministries, Bible teacher, podcaster, and author of several books, Lena Abujamra. Today, Lena shares her journey of the near deconstruction of her own faith after a series of events that included church hurt. Instead of turning away from God, she pressed in bringing her honest questions to God and searching His Word for answers. Lena is a fire hose of truth. So open up and get ready to save this conversation for replay. I think you're going to want to listen more than once. Good afternoon, Lena, and welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. Thanks for having me. So fun to meet you. It is. It's exciting to have you here. Um, I have already kind of introduced you when it comes to this conversation. So I want to jump in like I do with all of my guests. Tell us a little bit about how you came to know Jesus. Like when did you start walking with him? What does that story look like for you? Right. I love that. Well, I, uh, and it's funny, hardly anyone asks me that anymore. It's a great question. So I actually grew up in a Christian home, more or less. My dad was, uh, Christian in name, you know, he wasn't a follower of Jesus like he became later in his life. But my mom was a new, well, a newer convert. She came to Christ out of uh, a high church background where, you know, they just mm-hmm. were didn't really have any personal relationship with the Lord. And she came to Christ in college. And so this was in Beirut, Lebanon. So it's back in the sixties for her and then wow. married my dad later, you know, she was a little older for that generation. She was in 28, he was 36. So they mm-hmm. were well into their careers. And so they started having kids right away. And it was very much like the, I'm Lebanese. Both my parents are, actually, my mom is Palestinian, but lived her whole life in Lebanon since um, leaving Palestine, you know, what was Palestine at the time. And they, she's a refugee, actually. They wow. left them, you know, with the clothes on their back. But so she oh, met my dad and they ended up, um, he didn't care like, if she brought him us in church, like he was very hands-off. He was a 
plastic surgeon. And, and at the time, the war was just starting. And so he covered all the traumas really in, mm. in Lebanon. And so it's very patriarchal culture in a sense. But and so the, the dad brings the money and the mom raises the kids. And so which was sort of what this was back in, you know, the cleavers and, you know, all of that culture here. And so we, we went to church from I don't remember a time in my life I didn't go to church. And I just heard about Jesus from the earliest ages. And I remember my mom would read the Bible for us. And one particular day, I don't know exactly how old I was, but I remember kind of making that connection that I needed to receive Jesus. And so I asked him into my heart after what was family devotions in a sense, and then uh, did that for night after night, as many kids who grow up in a Christian home do until I asked my mom, I said, I've been asking Jesus mom. And so she explained to me that, you know, once you ask him, he comes to stay. And so that was a very young age. And I think later, you know, it's, it's interesting people who grow up in a Christian home, mm-hmm. you have that exposure to the Lord, you mentally, you know, assent to, you want Jesus, you know, like I see it in my nephews. Now I've lived closely. Yeah. They're my neighbors. And, but there comes a point in your life when you're a little older, where you sort of, I feel like you grow up in the faith, you know, you sort of, um, and that happened to me in, after we moved from Lebanon. So we actually left Lebanon in 1987. I was 15. I was just finishing high school. I had one year, we were schooling is a little different than Lebanon. So I was a little ahead. And so after that year of high school, I came to the US, I went to camp. And so I was already like all in. I feel if yeah. I died, I was in heaven. Like I just, I didn't have a question about my salvation, but my life took on a much more serious note in the faith after that. And I think Though I wanted already to serve Jesus, there was really a very personal encounter I felt after a, a message that shaped my life, I would say. I don't know if I'd say mm. it changed my life, but it certainly shaped my life. And it was very much a jumping in, God, whatever you want. This isn't my life, really. It's yours. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, I trace back, you know, calling, you know, we think about our calling in Christ. And you always think about like, when did God call me to teach the Bible, which was what happened when I was finishing my fellowship in pediatric ER in back in the year 2000. But really, when I look at my life, I think that time at camp was what was the beginning of my calling into the work I do today. Yeah. Well, and it's so interesting to hear you even talk about that, because it sounds like then you got another confirmation as you're finishing up your fellowship. That was it completely. So, so basically at that point I was all in like, you know, I mean, it was like, I, I, there was a cheese and Jesus was my savior as a child. And now right. I was like an adult who wanted to serve Jesus all in. And I, I don't think there are distinct experiences per se. Like, I really believe when you give your, you know, people will try to distinguish between oh, like, no. is he your savior or Lord of your life? Look, he's one and all. I mean, but, but there is as a child, when you give your life to Jesus, when you're five mm-hmm. or six or seven, I do think there's a point in your older years where you have to also sort of grow into it. And that's I think right. that's sort of what happened at camp, but no, the, the vocational. So, so, so I was thought I'd be a medical missionary, honestly, because I mm. was a person who goes to medicine due to serve Jesus. And everybody I knew was like, a medical missionary. And so I found out somewhere in my residency and I was sort of on that path. Honestly, I was everything that I was thinking through what residency to do. And I debated doing surgery versus general peds and long and short, I ended up making a very pragmatic decision to go into pediatrics. Cause I thought it's faster. I'll get on the mission field faster. <laughs> but then I found out you have to raise support. And I had a panic attack and I thought, not over this dead body. What's <laughs> ironic is today I have a nonprofit and the way we do is raise support. <laughs> so it's hilarious. And, and, yeah, but and were most, you in debt then? I mean, medical school is expensive. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot more pressure. But but basically at the time I remember being like, no, God, I must have misheard you. You don't want me to be a missionary. And, I, and my dad had put us through school. You know, we were Lebanese, like that's a cultural thing. And so I just didn't feel at the time it was right to say to him, I just, I guess God didn't want me to be, do it because I really didn't feel freedom to say I'm going to yeah. go be a missionary. And so, so, so I went to do a fellowship in pediatric ER, which anyone who knew me 
was like, of course, you, you know, God saved, protected the kids. Cause like, I'm not a general pediatrician and any, like I love kids, but it's just general pediatrics is not my language, but pediatric ER is, and it's much more bent on the emergency room, disaster relief, wow. in, adrenaline. And so I started doing that. I did it for three years. And it was in those years that I went through my first big spiritual, you know, crisis of trying to understand God and his ways. I broke off an engagement in that mm. season. And, and then later lost a friend that I thought I probably would marry someday. Mm. It's a very, very hard season in my life where I thought God had spoken about something and it didn't work out like I thought it did. It should. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I remember out of it, God just putting the pieces back together. And by his grace, I mean, I've, I've been able to wrestle through those difficult questions of the faith mm -hmm. at various seasons of life and come on the side of the Lord. And I think I think that's not surprising. If God saves you, he'll keep you. Mm -hmm. And so I, but it was painful. And I remember starting to teach a Sunday school class. Also, I tell the story a bit in my book, Fractured Faith, but I remember starting to teach that class and it was like something in my soul came alive. And I spent a mm -hmm. year praying and asking, well, can I do this? This is what I want to do the rest of my life. And yeah, and I, I felt a fresh call, I guess you could say a specific calling to do this the rest of my life. And I, I honestly never thought I'd stop practicing medicine. So I sort of started this bivocational life of writing and talking about Jesus and his word, but also yeah. practicing medicine. Well, and that's what we're going to talk about. I mean, it's fascinating to me because I told you earlier before we started recording the fact that you were a women's director, we're not talking at a church of like a hundred people. You're a women's director at Harvest a Church in Chicago, which is very large, and you're also practicing medicine. Uh, that's a lot. That's a lot, Lena. <laughs> interesting because I'm doing a lot more now than I oh, yeah. did back then. But, you know, capacity, I think, I think a few things. First of all, I always remind people I'm single. So when people yeah. read my bio, it's always like, well, you do what? How do you do any of it? Well, well, yeah, I'm single. I don't have a husband. I don't have kids. And I think that's very important. It is. And, and more so I'm like a neat freak, right? So my, <laughs> my, my life tasks are very, very minimal. And I think the mm. Lord wired me this way for the life that I have. And I also think my capacity is high. Anyway, you, my speech is fast. My thinking is yeah. fast. And so again, I think so, a lot of this is just purely wiring. Yeah. Uh, but I also was brought up with, with a very interesting background background of, of both parents being very, very much that same high efficiency, mm -hmm. disciplinary, you know, very disciplined in the, and our schooling was very disciplined. So we were really, you couldn't plan. Like when you talk about God knowing us and wiring us, like you couldn't plan a better story for the things that I was able to do mm -hmm. in the way that I did them. And the ER afforded me the hours so that I could do both. But honestly, in hindsight, I mean, there were pros and cons, you know, it was my story, but it's not every person's story. And even now I look at the things I'm doing and I'm constantly like wrestling with the Lord, like what needs to stop and what do we keep mm. doing? And I think that's that, that wrestling match of priorities and margin and distractions and how to be, because what eats away when you are very busy is time with the Lord and how yes. do you wrestle for that? And I think that those are really important questions. And I think I every one person knows where you need to cut some things and not others. And that's the Lord right. helps. I found he, he, that's right. he does what he says he'll do. <laughs> and yeah. And there are times when he sees you stepping into something that may be too much. And then he's, you know, you go, okay, well, maybe he saw things that I didn't, and, but, but it's hard to acknowledge that. I think, cause we think we, mm -hmm. I mean, at least me, like after all these years of the Lord, sometimes I think, of course I know what he wants from me, but then you start a path. We're walking through something right now in our ministry. that looks like a chapter that we thought was just opening is closing a little. And it's a bit, a bit like sort of like, I'm befuddled, like, what, wait, wait, did we mishear you, Lord? And, mm -hmm. and sometimes you don't know the answers. Like, I mean, I mean, I mean, when people listen, you know, watch people like, you know, who are in the public eye, live their Christian life. Like, I don't think everybody always knows 100% the answer at all. I think you just yeah. walk by faith. 
and you trust the goodness of God and you rest in the fact that someday we'll know, but for now I'm doing the best I can. I'm going to obey the Lord and I'm going to keep running after him. And mm-hmm. all these other storylines that we create that we make much of That's right. are not the main storyline. He's, we, may, we must make much of him, yeah. but all the other little scenarios, oh, she wrote a book or she worked at a church or she you know, bought a farm or whatever it is. I think those are background stories at the end of the day. It is. is And I mean, if any of us can look back on any of our lives and say we didn't make mistakes and say, wow, I wish that wasn't a highlight that everybody watched from stage, um, you're fooling yourself. So that we don't have social media. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Which that's a whole other conversation. Exactly. Well, (laughs) so you did. I wish I didn't. I know me too. And then, Yeah. yeah, exactly. This episode is brought to you by the Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on the Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com. You eventually come to a place where you hit a wall as the women's director and the Christianity that you'd known up to that point really did begin to crumble. And that is a large part of what Fractured Faith, your book is about, or your most recent book. Share a little bit of that story with us and kind of what happened that, you know, sent you into this downward spiral. Well, this was about the year 2013. And I think the years 2016 to 22, where we are now, 22, have been a really painful, and um, I'd give the church, the American church, a D minus. And I hate to say it because I think there are mm-hmm. some great bodies here and there, bodies of believers scattered. But by and large, if you are not a Christian, you're looking at Christians, I think we get a D minus. And we're just, we don't fail simply because of God's grace and the fact that his church doesn't That's fail. Right. But I think we as humans have have made a mess of it. And I came, I was at a big church that ended up becoming a mess for a long time. Mm-hmm. And the story is very public now. There are other stories like it. It was not, it's not a unique story, but it's different than the church issues that happened in the 80s or the 90s. I really think there was a cultural phenomenon in the last 10 years that have taken the evangelical world by storm. And it is these horrific stories of poor leadership yeah. that didn't look poor, that for a while looked amazing and charismatic and and so fruitful and so vibrant. And I think many of us, I think most of us honestly couldn't see through it. Mm-hmm. And so it was this wave like you rode. And I remember coming to that church and thinking, there's nothing like it. Like it was incredible. There was a spirit of revival. And so to work at that church was an honor and a gift. And it's when I, I had already been blogging, but I started writing books then. And you see all the good things that were happening there, but there were definitely some, some issues, some cracks in the foundation. And by the time I was three years into the women's ministry role, I was seeing a lot of the cracks in the foundation and mm-hmm. things that I think I should have had better answers for from the leadership. And so I actually stepped down from the leadership role thinking I'll probably stay at the church. I just need a little space to decipher what's happening. And, and it was only about six, I was, so I was still there. I was, I resigned 
I told them six months ahead of time. So then I was leaving in May and I lasted till September. And in that mm -hmm. time, it was, there were multiple things that happened at the church that sort of became like, okay, at this point, like I just can't really follow my conscience and what the Holy Spirit was showing me and stay. But I knew in making that decision that, so by now, like I, though I was working the medical job, my life was the church. My <laughs> calling was the church, my, my focus, my love, my dreams, my daughter still hadn't married, but I knew that God had called me to this teaching and I was in a perfect place for it to, to explode. And, and it was up on the verge. Two of my books were coming out that summer, like a horrible time to leave. And, but I just knew in my heart that this would not be something I could stay when, when I already knew what I knew. And so I left. And I, I think secretly when you leave something like that, you hope you're wrong. You hope that somehow the truth will be out soon. But so I leave before the story implodes, like five years before the story imploded, oh, maybe, wow. maybe four years. And so for four years, you've got now us versus them or them versus us. And you've got blogs talking about it. And you've got the insiders who have remained and think you're the bad person. And you're not saying much because you don't want to mar the name of Jesus. And you don't, you know, you know, a lot of reasons. I mean, you don't want to hurt your own ministry. So some of it is self, you know, protective. Others of it is just God, like, I don't want to ruin our testimony. So there's many layers to it. But in that window of few years, it was, so I hit a wall because I felt abandoned and initially by the church, which I know it seems counterintuitive because I'm the one who left. But what, what really I think becomes evident in most people who deconstruct, which is the term that we've given this major mm -hmm. wrestling that leads to questions about all of it, is that I felt really abandoned by God. Because I felt like if, why didn't God step in? Okay, fine. They're idiots. If you want to use that human, like, okay, you're mad, you know, you know, they're stupid, they're idiots, they're, but really God, why aren't you doing anything? That's Which right. is often where David and the Psalms ends. I mean, and so I think this is where I felt like more betrayed. I was like, God, I've given you my life. I've given you, I didn't get married. Fine. We worked through that chapter, but you promised me these things in ministry and now this, and then they're flourishing. Meanwhile, they're flourishing yeah. for about four years. And you're sort of like going, where do I even fit in? Mm -hmm. And now you come to these years. Now it's become much more common to run. I mean, almost everyone I know has gone through a major church shift or yeah. something and disappointment, I think in leadership, because I do think, again, I think we have a cancer of leadership that is still not dealt with in our churches. We think we have band-aids here and there we're plugging things up. And, and I think the Lord is intent on purifying the church so that I don't think we'll stop until the cancer is out. And that mm. cancer has to do with the way that we perceive what successful Christianity is in the United States. I really think the cancer isn't one guy here, one girl. Here. Right. I think the cancer is the way that we understand the things that are important mm -hmm. in the Christian, what discipleship is, what a successful yes. Christian is. And I think honestly, all, across the board, I think the, it's particularly the American church. And I say it because I spend a lot of time in the global church in Lebanon, and now we're working with the Ukrainian Christians and places like that who where Syrian refugees, where there is immense persecution and attack, they're past this facade of whatever we want to call celebrity Christians, leaders, yeah. you know, all this jazz and diamonds and, and whatever it is that we value here in this country and the American dream. And and people have talked about it in the past. Like I remember reading Radical by David Platt and being mm -hmm. so moved by that book and believing its message. But I don't think we learned. I don't think as a whole, our culture here in the US has understood just how seeped into our... So when it comes to deconstruction, so what has happened in, since 2013 when I went through that kind of sort of like how God, how are they succeeding? And I'm not, and you're calling this a success. And there, you know, and all of these sort of mm -hmm. questions of what does it look to be a mature Christian? I think when you leave and you sort of start this deconstruction process, I think there are certain things in our 
church world that have to deconstruct. And one of the main ones is this, is what we value as spiritually mature and successful. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I think with deconstruction too, it looks very, very different in a lot of different situations, right? Yes. Like we have the extreme where someone is truly deconstructing and completely walking away from yep. Christianity. Then we have people like me who have deconstructed to the point of being like, no, I'm not forsaking meeting together with believers. If I don't sit in a church building with 50 other people. Like, yeah, yeah I mean, you're right. I mean, we, yes, we are, we love formulas, oh. right? I mean, I mean, we are like, so, so the, and the more social media we are, the more computerized we are, the more like, everybody wants a little formula, like, you know? Right. And so, yeah, I think we want to put a definition for deconstruction and, and people on one side get mad because they're defining this way. People on the other side get mad. because And so they, these guys say, well, don't use the term. These guys say, use the term. And, then, and everyone gets so bogged down with it. I, you know, I agree with you. I don't think there's one size fits all. Mm-mm. I think there's, you have to be careful. I think you have to define the term because yeah. I do agree with you. There's times you meet someone who, because this is the subtitle in my book has to do with deconstruction, finding way back to God in an age of deconstruction. And initially I called the book reconstructing faith. And the whole point, I think that's it. It's like you hit a crisis in the faith for some reason. And, and now in the language of deconstruction, it has to do with a lot of like sort of this um, ideological you know, views on the Bible, on God, on the church. And I think mm-hmm. you have to be careful then when you, somebody says to you, they're deconstructed exactly what you said, are they really even believing still? And so a right. lot, I think how you view the Bible is critically important. Many people who are true deconstructionists would say, well, the, the Bible, we don't interpret it literally anymore. I, I, I 100% believe the Bible is the um, inerrant, authoritative, infallible word, word of God. God. And, and I think that makes a big difference in terms of how you find your answers to Mm -hmm. the problem of deconstruction. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I mean, that's the question, I guess, for me with you. And as you're going through this process of, you know, what you have termed deconstruction, what were some of the things, I mean, one thing that you talk about in the book is really remembering who God is versus who we've made him out to be. And wow, is that ever challenging when you're also trying to disentangle all of this stuff that you've learned culturally. And so yeah. talk about that a little bit. I think many of us see God in the lens. It's funny. Cause we, I remember like when people, you know, came out of divorced families, you'd be like, mm-hmm. you know, and had bad experiences with their dads. They would, they would say like, don't look at God. Like he's not a picture of your dad. You know, he's not like your dad. So now I think the danger now is don't look at God like your pastor. I, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't know. I agree. Anyone, but, but I think that was sort of my, what got me is that it was like, I, if God is like my pastor, who is the authority, spiritual authority, and the person that I really admired and look up to and sort of was under their authority in every way it, that can mess you up. And so I think you have to be careful. Like God is different than all, any that he's not like Billy Graham. Like Billy Graham is great, right? He's in heaven now, but like God is not like Billy Graham. Like That's I'm right. even picking on the nicest person, but so I think we need to be careful. And so what wooed me back and again, and I don't know that I'd ever say I stopped believing God. I just, I just built a huge wall in my heart. And you were asking questions. Yes. It was like, I wanted, it's like a push pull, but I certainly didn't want his people. And by the way, I still wrestle with certain of his people, not all. That's right. Me too. It's okay. I think this is still heaven. I mean, you know, we have to work through that. And I think God has to change me in those areas where I'm so guarded now. But I think the person who wooed me back was Jesus. Mm -hmm. It doesn't get so, it's not so complicated. And where do you find Jesus? Well, in his word. 
And so it is not surprising that the very things that threatened to destroy me, the church, those Christian things that we count so valuable, ended up being the means that the Lord Jesus used to draw me back to himself. Mm. And it came in a place of utter brokenness. You know, I hit a low and I think the low was just an emotional low. I mean, it was never... You know, it wasn't like I was, you know, it was COVID by then. It's like, oh. <laughs> what could you, like, you know, but it was like this sense of abandonment from everybody except Jesus. And mm-hmm. I think when you see that, when you sense it and then when you, when you experience it, I guess, which I know it's faith is believing God, like, and there's an ascent in your brain, but there's an emotional aspect to it. That's right. There is. Our emotions, like, you know, I think today I was listening to some podcast thing, but they were talking about the, you know, they were almost minimizing emotions. And I agree, like I've been brought up in the church that says, we don't, fun- we don't follow our, our feelings. I get that, but our feelings are there. And oh, some of them right? are God given. <laughs> yes. And you can, and we're made in the image of God. So some, so our feelings mean something and they're, and they tell us a story and, and they shouldn't shape what we do, but they certainly impact how we act. And so to me, when I saw that even those feelings that I couldn't change, because that's what I were always told, like, you can change your feelings, you can change, change your feelings, change your, change your mind, change your feelings. Well, I, I wasn't getting, I wasn't ed- ending up there. And yet, even in that space where I felt like I was just so broken that I couldn't even mm. do the things that I had taught and wanted to teach. And yet there was the Lord, he in it, and I found him in Psalm 22. You know, it wasn't like, I didn't hear a voice, but I there was a sense of such peace of his presence not beating me on the head not just with me just sense of like psalm 139 talks about like even if you make your bed in hell he's there and there's a mm. moment of awareness in every christian's life and i think that's those are the people who end up in saying okay i, de- I didn't deconstruct to disbelief i deconstructed but now i'm reconstructing is the ones that kind of wake up and go i don't know how to explain it but jesus was with me in the worst of it and he's still here. And I think Mm -hmm. that to me is the gospel at the end of the day. Well, and I think about what you said, a friend of mine actually just sent me a voice text right before we got on this call, Sarah, and she was talking about feelings. And she said, you know, it's so interesting because in one breath, someone will say, don't trust your feelings. But then in the next breath, what we were talking about earlier, I felt the Holy Spirit tell me to do this, or I'm feeling like God is leading me in that direction. And it's like, okay, if we live in this world, which one is it? Right. Well, it really is not an either or because there is a tension there where you actually, it's that growing up in the faith. You have to learn when is this sadness and this intense grief, actually something that you need to trust that you need to lean into. And it moves you to do things on on behalf of the kingdom. Like what we're doing in, 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 with the refugees now in both in Ukraine three months ago, there was no war Mm. two months ago. There was no war before, but you're moved to tears and now you have a work there. And so you go, what moved you? Well, it was grief. And so, you Mm -hmm. know, I think grief that, that keeps you in a place of despair needs to be fought. And I think there's no no doubt there's spiritual elements to this. So there's no question, but, but yeah, but so, so, I mean, often the the pain of deconstruction is the pain of being hurt for me. It was in the church world. Most, a lot of Christians, I would say have a similar story these days. Mm -hmm. Obviously you can be wounded in other ways. It can be an abusive marriage. It can be in so many different ways. You don't have to review all of the ways, but I think it doesn't matter where the pain comes from. What we are promised is a savior who can heal that pain. And it's not, again, it's, there's no quick fix, a pill That's right. a process. And that process starts by, by understanding. And I think this is something that I allude to a lot in the book. Like we think the work is on us mm. and, and though we are part of the work, he's doing the work. Mm-hmm. And I think I have so much more confidence in this God who's not waiting for me. If she just does, 
if she just changed, <laughs> if she like, he's, I'm his daughter. Like, he's not going to let me go. I don't understand it. Like, yeah, at some point the, the son had to get out of the pigsty and start making his way home, but the father was already meeting him. And so wherever you are in the process of pain or being alienated mm. from God or his church, I think the minute you kind of pivot your face towards him, you'll find that he's coming towards you with a sign, which is how I end the book with a sign that says, welcome back to me. And I think, right, I think right. that's, again, I think about so much of what we make Christianity to be, and it's not so... It's not about going to a church, though. I think going to church is part of the Christian walk. It's not about reading your Bible every day, though. I think you need to read your Bible to feel a sense of closeness to God. It's ultimately about a savior who loved you so much to die on the cross for you, who still loves you so much. The story doesn't end the minute you walk down and when you're five or 10 or 15 and give your life to Christ, it continues. And he's as committed to you today as he was on the day you were saved. And I think the beauty of maturing in Christ is understanding that and settling in security in that because i yes. think we're so nervous in our christian life that if i just mess up he's going to stop loving me mm -hmm. or if you don't see evidences of his love you go well what if he's changed his mind about me so something bad happens and you go what did i do wrong and we, we have such a sense of I, I think we need security in his love and the and he shows it and he gives it and the best place you feel it is when you're hurting yes yeah and, and isn't that the feeling we need to pay attention to the feeling of when you feel abandoned, going back to who God is and remembering yep. he doesn't forsake you. So that's the place where you can't just wallow in that feeling, even though it, that's exactly what it feels like that God has left you. I wallowed a little. I, I mean, oh, I, would, I, I, admit it. I wrote a book on it. So, so, but, but you know what, but it was a, but, but it was, I didn't want to stay wallowing. Well, and that's the thing though, who is to say how long the wallowing is allowed to last? We don't know how long the prodigal son was a prodigal. We don't right. know that. Right. And I look at my right. mother-in-law who was such a prayer warrior. I mean, just serving in the church wholeheartedly, but I mean, she had a 10 year journey where I, I like the word dark night of the soul so much better than deconstruction, <laughs> but that's I a side too. note. Right. Right. It's true. I but agree. I mean, 10 years of that. And she yeah. said, you know, Jesus to me was like. I mean, he was the love of my life and I went 10 years. I, I can understand the pain of that. I'll right, tell you yeah. one thing. I think the danger, I think, and I think this is where caution from those who have been really anti-deconstruction language in the church. It, the danger is, is who we open our minds and our thoughts to. So, so we joked about social media at the beginning, but I really think this is exactly the point of, of warning, I would say to anyone who's deconstructing, like, I totally think it's a legitimate experience. And I think you'll come out of it closer to the Lord and stronger. But mm -hmm. if the only thing you're listening to is your social media chatter, right. you're in trouble. I mean, in, in a way, Elon Musk might, might have given us the best service. And now people are like, oh, I don't want to be on Twitter. Because before, it's all we're brainwashing That's ourselves. Right. Like we're meditating on what other people are telling us. Some who have very much had a stance against anything related to Jesus Christ coming out of pain. And That's right. you have to be careful then. Because you're, you know, I think there are, I mean, there's no question that this world as, you know, God is, is in control of this world, but there is a Satan that's still running the world until Jesus comes back, even though God has defeated him through Christ on the cross. Like we understand, like spiritual realities are still spiritual realities. So if all you're listening to in your pain is, you know, the top 20 voices on social media, well, you're going to be getting in trouble. You're not going to end right. up in a place of faith. And so right. give as, at least as much time to the word of God in your life. Yes, please, please. Because we can and all might, find something. A, yeah, I think that's critical. And I think I think then when, when people really want it, when it, when push comes to shove, probably what saved me, you know, outside of the grace of God was the disciplined habit of being in the word of God 
and, and granted, and I'll admit, there were times I did it because I had fear of God. So you could say out of guilt. I don't know what is guilt. It's fear of God. Like, I don't want to upset God. Like, I still believe that. And so right. but, but I showed up. Yeah. And, and yeah, sometimes I didn't understand it much or didn't feel anything. And sometimes I skimmed through it as opposed to read it more carefully, but I showed up. Yeah. And I think there is something about showing up in a place where God has told you he will be. That's and he right. will be in his word and he will be in certain, you know, go to, you know, don't have to participate in church if you're in a hurting place, but show up, listen, open yeah. your heart to the possibility that God is good and that God is still madly in love with you to use that term. And I don't use that term. I know that kind of gets hokey. People talk about, but he is, he's madly Yeah. In love well, with and you. I think if you're struggling that much with, let's just say going to this church building, find a few people. Like I remember right. back, I had come back from India and I don't know, I just went into a tailspin of like, I didn't want to read the word. I didn't want to hear about it. it was, it was awful. Like nothing I'd ever experienced, but I did have a few trusted friends in my life who weren't trying to fix me. Right. And I told them honestly, and I said, please, if there's anything you'll do for me, pray, pray, pray that God will just be with me and be near to me and that this will not last forever. And they did. I know. It's like Peter, you know, I'm going to sift you, but, but you're going to come back and you're going to strengthen the brothers. And so he went through it for a short period of time, but yeah, I love that. I think you're right. And I think, yeah, even like, I think, I think about that people in my life who have always been there and they knew I was going through this and you're right. They might've done nothing but pray for me, but man, it changed because look at us now. I mean, I, yes, I think I've changed in that. I have a lot more grace for myself. I think that we're very hard on ourselves in, in, as Christians, but also like there's a sense of security in my walk with the Lord that I think mm-hmm. is deeper than it's ever been. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I think like, I said, honestly, I still, I was in church last weekend. Visit, I have my own church, but it's a drive. And so I, I went to my sister's church down the street and I go a lot with them because it's convenient. My nephew who's eight loves me to go with them. Oh, after. But honestly, I sat through and I thought, why am I doing here? Like it does sometimes it's still, and I'm like, I wrote the book on it. Like, why am I still struggling with belonging and feeling? Ah, and I'm like, why am I, why didn't I just stay home? But mm-hmm. I think we expect too much of everything worldly for us to think mm-hmm. that one day I'm going to just show up and everything's going to be great. And, mm-hmm. but I think the battle isn't, oh, okay, well then it must not feel right. I'm going to not come anymore, but it's like, just show up. Everybody else is feeling that way too, probably. Mm-hmm. And eventually yeah, at you'll least find a lot of people. people. Yeah. Eventually you'll find the two or three that are like you. And people ask me all the time, what do we find good Christian friends? Well, start with a place where they gather. And, and, you know, I know you might go through a hundred that aren't your good Christian friends, but eventually you'll find the one and I found them. And so it just takes time. It does take time. Well, something that I do love that you have in fractured faith is this deconstruction diagram. And the, one of the reasons why I love it is because you show that it's very normal to go through some of these, you're changing your thought process on maybe what you thought God was in this space and so on and so forth. But at the bottom, you are very clear to split off that, you know, yes, I've deconstructed and I'm walking away versus the things that happen when you decide like, no, I'm going to reconstruct. I'm going to continue in my faith in Christ. And so talk about that a little bit, maybe how that played out in your life or how you've seen that impact people yeah. um, in your life. 
Well, I think the di- I'm a visual person to a certain mm-hmm. degree, but also like I like diagrams and I like lists. And I think the diagram- You're a doctor. <laughs> yeah, right? ER. I'm an ER doctor. That's Everything right. is a paradigm. And I think there is there is something about it that's very tangible. When you break down the emotional stages, I sort of write the different feelings that happen. And because everyone's like, well, how do you get to deconstruction? Well, it didn't start with deconstruction. It starts with mm. a, a pain, a, a disillusionment. Right you know, a disappointment, mm-hmm. you know, that like the D's, I like to alliterate. And then it goes into <laughs> doubt, like, yeah. And then you ask and no one, no one gives you an answer. So then it, it seeps more, you get into despair and then deconstruction. And, and now you get to, so everybody sort of started, first of all, like to back up a bit, you don't deconstruct unless you have faith to begin with, right? You deconstruct something you oh, had. So deconstruction yeah. is not a term you apply to an atheist who's never believed God. They're not deconstructing. The people who are deconstructing are usually, so you all start off in the same funnel. We used to be believers and now we're going through some crisis. And so as you walk, down that path of whatever brought you the pain now you go through the disillusionment the disappointment mm-hmm. you know on and on you get down to that bifurcation mm-hmm. why is there as we sit here there are other people who have claimed to deconstruct who have no semblance of anything that we would call orthodox christian and then there's people who are on my side now who are very strongly believing and many in the middle and so right. i think that bifurcation that happens is this is what i was talking about a minute ago like we need to be authentic we need to be truthful that's where it starts like ruth and naomi naomi mm-hmm. is so truthful and brutally so at the beginning of ruth one where she comes home and they and she's deconstructing and they say to her what's your hey ruth, naomi you're back and she goes don't call me naomi call me mara she's so truthful of where she's at she's not hiding She's a, a mess. And she's like, that's it's just, you, you almost can hear the door shut in their faces. Yeah. And, and I think there is that truth. The problem with us, we have become a culture that loves this authenticity, but we're authenticizing ourselves to each other and we can't save each other. And we need to be authentic before the Lord. And so that bifurcation happens is who are you exposing yourself to and who are you listening to? So who you do that to? So I think the biggest difference in the outcome will be whether you're, oh, yes, come naked before God. Tell God where you're at. Listen to the Lord. Put yourself in places versus because you're doing this. You're doing it. And the question is, who are you doing it to? Are you just doing it to the 50, 1,500 people that may follow you on social media? They're, they don't care about you. They don't even know you. So they're going to clap to whatever you say that might sound familiar to them and vice versa. That is not going to feed your speed, your soul. So I found inevitably where you expose yourself and who you expose yourself to will influence the outcome. And so mm-hmm. surround yourself with those two or three friends who are speaking truth in your life, be in the word, listen to any, you don't have to do it in the way you work. You know, we grew up in this legalistic, read your Bible, check it out and all that. No, read a verse. I don't know. Listen to it on tape, go for a walk. Dude, I went walking like crazy during the yeah. season that I lived through the, because walking to me was a way to quiet. And I found one of the things that was hugely important in my journey has been the gift of silence and solitude. I live mm-hmm. alone. The COVID era of solitude was very good for me because it gave me margin to be with the Lord. But the silence, not just of, you know, there's noise of, of life, but then there's inner soul mm-hmm. noise that I think we need to quiet down. So mm-hmm. find those teachers. I've loved listening to some teachers that I wasn't as familiar with before, like Pete Scazzaro, no, nothing out of the oh. box. People who have taught so well on these topics who are, who have learned from their own experiences how to verbally express those things. And I think there's many others, like these, you know, you've mentioned you had Peter Greek. I read mm-hmm. his book, was so good recently on 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 disappointment, or I can't mm-hmm. remember the title, but but it's a well his power- most recent one's hearing God, but there's God on mute. That was God his. on mute. Yeah. Yes. God on mute. Someone told me after they read my book that they reminded him of a lot of God on mute. So I went back and read God on mute and it, it, it's incredible. And it's, you know, he, again, they didn't have the language of deconstruction then. And maybe he didn't deconstruct to the degree that again, what you see now, but it's the same principles mm-hmm. of there's deep pain in our life. Now we've got to make a decision. Will we believe God 
mm-hmm. or will we turn our back on him? Mm-hmm. And I think um, by God's grace, those who are wrestling with that and listening right now, or yeah. uh, maybe even by this few minutes that they've heard us make a decision to just maybe give God a mm-hmm. chance by opening Gosh, up their so. hearts to his word again. Yeah, I love um, that you say also Pete Scazzaro, because if anybody's listening, listen, if you're struggling spiritually, emotionally healthy spirituality, whew, yeah, just go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like you said, it's this. Well, let me go back to the diagram because something you say after you begin reconstructing faith, or you just get to that point where you decide, like, I'm going to continue to believe what I don't see. You talk about rhythms of faith Mm -hmm. and how I do think, I mean, number one, I can be so much more empathetic with people who, who don't have it all figured out, right? Like Mm -hmm. people who are honestly just able to say, "Mm, I'm not so sure I agree with that, or I believe that, but also you begin to value, like you said, silence and solitude, fasting all of these spiritual rhythms and they don't, they're no longer legalistic. They literally are the lifeblood for you to be connected to Christ. Yeah. Well, I call like, I talk about old practices, fresh rhythms, and you're right. Yes. He does a lot of work on that. I actually, I I'm probably influenced by him to a certain degree, to a large degree Me in too. that sense. And I think, you know, I think it's easy for people who are going through, you know, like Oh, so many of my friends have landed in that place or like, I don't want to ever go to church again. And they don't tell me, or, you know, they went through the same church hurt and they're like, I can't barely read my Bible anymore. And the very things that fed your faith become, create this PTSD, you know, Mm -hmm. surround, you know, atmosphere, which is, it's sad, but, but, you know, and honestly, part of my story was to go into counseling and and by God's grace, Mm -hmm. but I I actually see a spiritual director and a counselor and they both serve. And I still do, because I, I, I think honestly in my life way, they're a version of a small group, though mm-hmm. different. I don't, I'm not saying counseling isn't like small group, but there are, there are very much yeah. overlapping themes. And for a single woman, so that's the other thing is I'm single. And I think there are certain things for single people. You're very isolated. And so yes. when you leave a church, you don't really have a network of people to speak those conversations with. So they have become mm-hmm. important people to me to talk about things that matter. And one of the gifts of both of them, one is very much similar background to me. Um, my spiritual director is wonderful. It's, um, and she's, she's just a godly woman. And I've enjoyed her because she sort of brought this perspective. Like, I think we sort of, like, you become very black and white. Like you think anyone from this way who teaches these things, I'm not, I can't listen to them, but it was the, like, you know, she didn't really knock me for kind of feeling like I just can't even read my Bible anymore. I'm not getting it. That's right. But, but she offered sort of this possibility, like, you know, it's okay to, potentially go like we watch Beth Moore now she's going to the Anglican church and everybody has an opinion on it whether you like Beth Moore or not I don't think it matters the point of it is she hasn't been afraid to explore other orthodox Mm -hmm. Christian places that have continued to feed her soul and there's many reasons where she's ended up there I'm sure we'll all read the memoir on air and figure out all of the dirty (laughs) stuff the bad you know but the point is like I think you know we need to be like I don't think so much ecumenical I don't think that's the right word because that automatically insinuates oh you're blurring lines no I believe you need to stay biblical but I think there's a lot of people who are biblical who may be doing things differently than yes. that little box that we were grown up with yes. and that's where deconstruction that's what needs yes. to deconstruct that's right absolutely and so the gift of so now you bring, talk about peace Cazero, who talks a lot about our church forefathers and you talk about people like you know those the, whether it's saint francis of assisi or all of henry newen and others who who have written you know some you know younger than others but you, you see like where I might've grown up with a box that says these people, oh, they're from this tradition. They can't, you can't listen to them. No, they love the Lord. And they're, yes, 
Yes. Sound. And you're like, and there's something very much like life infusing in that. So you certainly have to be careful who you're listening to. And that's where I think giving even Pete's name is a helpful because, you know, there's a lot of people who are telling a lot of weird things out there. That's right. But there's a lot of really solid people out there mm-hmm. who are challenging you to say, all right, be in the fresh rhythms. Like there's a say, the disciplines are not bad. It's how oh. we approach the disciplines that were bad. On the contrary, the disciplines can be life-saving. So now St. Augustine has written, that's how my mom became a Christian through the writings of St. Augustine in college. It wasn't even through an evangelist. It was yeah. through a Catholic forefather. And so, you know, but of course he's looked upon as favorably, right? But the point of it is, <laughs> right. So It'll change in 50 like years, Lena. <laughs> right, right. But so I think, you know, I think, yes, I think all of the old fashioned disciplines, if done out of a sense of, awareness of God's presence, mm-hmm. they, they shape us and mm-hmm. they put us in a place. Again, we're being discipled. We're a generation that's being, dis, being discipled through this oh. handheld device. And if, mm-hmm. and yeah, you might be reading your Bible, a new version, more power to you. I do too. I'm not saying I don't knock it, but we have to be careful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think those, those old practices need fresh rhythms. And that mm-hmm. happens when you break down now and say, okay, you know what? I am, I am going to give my soul because it's not now about getting through the practices. It's about dwelling in the presence of God through the practices. That's right. And expecting to hear from him. Mm-hmm. And when we go into things, expecting and asking to hear from him, that's what those spiritual practices often give life to just exactly. mixing it up a little bit. Well, let's close with this. Um, you talked about coming back to just who Jesus is. And it reminds me of a conversation that Billy Graham, I think had, no, Lee Strobel had with one of Billy Graham's friends who walked away from the faith. And this was in, I think, case for faith. And he said in this conversation, this man started weeping. He was an atheist Mm -hmm. at the time. And he said, but I do miss the person of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And then he cleared up his face really quick and just moved on. And I think that you and I are the same in that it's the person of Jesus that I'm like, where else would I go? with Mm -hmm. Peter, where, where else do I go, Lord? And so you've reconstructed where you like, what all are you doing now? What is your hope with fractured faith? Like, what do you want to see this generation that's just struggling with church so bad? Now I know that's a question that could go a million ways. So answer it as you desire, but I'd love to hear what you have to say. I mean, my, my pastor jokes about the fact, I mean, there's a joke. He just reminds me all the time. He's like, <laughs> you know, you're a revivalist. Anytime I veer away in a minute, we do a lot of different things in the ministry, but my heart's desire is to see people come back to a place of deep love for the Lord, a burning mm-hmm. fire in their hearts for the Lord. And so, and I, I don't think there are formulas for that. I think it takes mm-hmm. God's spirit to move in us, but I think most of us who have walked through this path of deconstruction, that's the, that's the give is that we long for that. And we didn't find it. We, we found celebrityism. We found mm-hmm. fame. We found big followings. We found platforms. We found best-selling books, but we didn't find at the end of the day, it looked like for a minute, a semblance of big lights and concerts and crowds, but true revival is much deeper mm-hmm. and it looks different. And I think that's why I still I wrestle sometimes with myself. Like I think, I wish I had a three-step formula for people, but <laughs> there isn't. There it's, isn't. It's like, it's like the early church gathering in rooms, praying together, begging the spirit of God to show up. And when we see it, when you experience this presence of God, there's not, there's nothing like it. Yes. So maybe it is about the prayer movement, Peter Griggs, you know, 24 yeah. seven prayer. I don't know. I just know I want to want the Lord. And I think anyone who has that, like that man who's crying says, I wish I remember reading that about with Lee Strobel's book. 
but it doesn't have to be a tearful departure. That's right. It can be a close, intimate re- reuniting. Mm-hmm. And so that's my heart is to see revival. I really think our churches in the United States can and will should change. I think God is working there. Me I too. do. I think the hope is that I do see revival happening, but revival is a little painful before it becomes good. Mm-hmm. And it means death to certain things. I think that's all the idea. It, it happens personally to us. Some things yeah. in our life have to die. That's painful. It's not that easy. Is. And some other things more globally have to die. And so I pray that God is doing that already and that we're on the path there. And I think there will be a tipping point where we will see it more globally. And so it's all the little pieces. And so I pray that God will use my little piece to just nudge somebody closer to the presence of Jesus. Lena, thank you so much. I want to ask you really quickly, what are you guys doing with Ukraine? God's providence is incredible. My assistant is, who's like my right-hand person. We have a very small team in our ministry. We've got three people, only one is paid. And we've been able to do a lot with Mm -hmm. that. So God is so good. But Irina's from Romania. And so right the day after the war broke, it was like literally within 24 hours. I remember seeing a map on the web and I thought, oh, I never looked at that map before. Romania is adjacent to Ukraine. And so I texted Irina. I said, Irina, you got to know someone there. <laughs> she, goes, she goes, as a matter of fact, I do. My friend Lena, who she was working in a seminary with back 15 years ago before she moved to the U.S., is running. She's the coordinator of a network of 80 churches. And they're based out of, she was based out of Kiev. And wow. she had literally like we, that day, we sent her text, said, how can we help? And so we right off on the ground, got up and running. We, I, I've told her I committed an amount I thought we could do some one way or the other. I figured we, I would support it if no one else did. <laughs> and God has more than quadrupled it. It's been a really, oh. I mean, it's been a very generous outpouring of gifts of people continues to ha- come. And so we're doing, I mean, so initially it was like early stages of the war. It was like a lot of like food. Well, now yeah. that now it's stuff that's being provided for humanitarianly. Right. What the biggest need, hands down, in fact, we just got an update today from her. Uh, I'm going to be doing a, uh, an interview with her Friday. So she, we regularly communicate with them. But really, the biggest need now is to put people in homes. So she was even telling oh. me now people are moving back to Kiev. They have no homes. They have nowhere to go. They many are moving them, back. Okay. So, so four, four million left, but mm-hmm. many are still there and are not leaving. They want to stay in their country, but they have no home. So we are now providing for the mm-hmm. next year, we're going to be providing housing for, and they're working with the local church. So most of them are related in some way or another, but providing them a couple of months at a time, but we foresee it first. We, I think we have like 30 some families that we're doing regular housing for besides the original um, so awesome. humanitarian stuff that we did. So it's been, it's been good. We, you know, they have shelters that aren't as busy now by God's grace, but now the need is just housing. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking time and just for sharing what God has done in your life through all of the, what, the last 10 years? So many years. I had to celebrate yeah. my 50th birthday on Friday. So a long time. So two days. But man, this was a, this was the amazing 15 minutes interview. That that's right. Out. That's right. <laughs> that was good. Thank, thank you for so having much. me. It was a lot of fun. Lena's book, Fractured Faith, is one of the books linked in the free resource page along with this episode. To access that page, go to graceenoughpodcast.com slash spiritual hurt. Next week, I am joined by the creator and host of the Untangled Faith podcast, Amy Fritz. Amy's family relocated to Nashville, Tennessee for her husband's dream job. A few years in, his job at the well-known organization ended because he refused to be silent about what was going on in the organization. 
Next week, Amy shares her story with hope that it will help others in similar situations and shine a light behind the curtain of said organization. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time. This episode was brought to you in part by the Areopagus Podcast. Two clergy of different traditions, Father Andrew Stephen Damick and Michael Landsman, discuss encounters of historic Christianity with other religious traditions. How do we engage with those who believe differently? Listen wherever you get your podcasts.